0: So last time, you know, I have spoken about that which calls us to show up, you know, which I I term the evolutionary urge. And you know, we can all learn to sense that in ourselves and start to attune to it. And this is what those Wednesday sessions are about, you know, to identify that urge within ourselves in coherence with the group because it usually amplifies it. And then by recognizing it, becoming familiar with it and more consciously attuning to it, and through that, you know, it becomes more defined, it becomes stronger, and we don't know what's going to happen, but it's something... You know, which is of a much vaster intelligence than our own dualistic thinking mind. And at these times, you know, of great uncertainty and turmoil and increasing chaos, this is a power, you know, we can learn to use to be more of benefit to the process, including to our own growth and awakening. And the climate crisis is a massive push, you know, for our moral or ethical development as, you know, as the human species on the planet. And I find it quite interesting, and you know, another word for humanity is mankind. And is man who is kind, like similar to gentleman, man who is kind, kind in the sense of being benevolent, but also being of one kind. And to really realize the depths of that word, mankind or humankind. You know, we so often, you know, use language I so often use language and I'm really not aware of some of the profound roots, you know, of the words we are using in everyday parlance. And mankind that just yesterday listened to a Hawaiian uh, elder and she spoke about, you know, what she understands the word mankind to mean. And like light bulbs were going off in my mind. Yeah, I never thought about that. Mankind. And you know, and she spoke about we need to give things back to nature, just as my first teacher, Ajahn Buddhadasa, always said. You know, toss it all back to nature, because nature is the rightful owner of all of it. And to become more coherent, you know, in our approaches to living on a limited planet that has only so much. you know, to support our growth and our needs, but not our greeds. Otherwise, it starts to, you know, the systems start to break down and that process has already begun. That systems show more and more cracks and there is a falling apart of the old is happening. And... We need to learn to attune to that and also at the same time see the new which is coming out through the cracks, the emergence of the new. And by attuning with this evolutionary urge in ourselves, you know, that is the direct path to helping to midwife the new which wants to be born. And this is, you know, the central reflection we are meeting for on these Wednesday meetings. And there's many, many groups around the planet who do these kind of meetings. And, you know, I call them pockets of sanity. And if we are all doing our work, we can trust, you know, that in some way or another, it will connect like a big you know spider web or a blanket of peace uh, the elder the Hawaiian elder yesterday said all around the planet at this time of great changes through you know through staying open and staying connected to what's happening and to the relational flow which can occur through such openness you know if we are shutting down if we contract We are cutting ourselves off from that flow, and then we stay in the past. We stay and we become more and more dysfunctional. You know, systems which don't update become dysfunctional. You might know that from your computer, also, and at one point it just no longer works. You know, it just is stuck. And that updating can only happen if we are staying open to the data flow which comes through us, through the biosphere, through the relational field of our society, just to be able to stay open and not turn away is a core skill, to stay in relationship. And, uh, you know, through the hyper-individualism of our culture, we have lost that sense of context, and we have lost that sense of responsibility to stay in contact. And the evolutionary force, you know, is actually a sense of responsibility from where all of this is going, that we want to put in our few cents, quote-unquote, in terms of our energy. What we have to contribute to that flow, this is what calls us to stay in relationship, or at least, you know, to start noticing when we are not in relationship and becoming aware of the trauma you know, which keeps us disconnected and to learn to heal that through grieving, through metabolizing, through going through the process, whatever it takes. And it might be very, very difficult at times. But then, you know, knowing we can do it in relationship with others. We don't have to do it in isolation. We actually can't do it in isolation. So to restore the data flow with nature and with the social field by healing that which keeps us contracted and disconnected. The transgressions, you know, which have been experienced through others and which also transgressions we have been acting out and to metabolize and integrate them. That's how we... Dissolve trauma into wisdom and compassion. And, you know, the Noble Eightfold Path of the Buddha, which is the basic template of the early Buddhist teaching, gives us a framework to do exactly that. Work of coming back into relationship first with ourselves and then with those, you know, around us and, then also with the whole planet, which is Dharma or nature. And then you know, the Noble Eightfold Path has been re. Um, what's the word? has been. I don't know the English word right now, but it has been found again. Mm -hmm. It has been found again by the Buddha. It hasn't been invented by him, but it's compared, you know, with an ancient city, which is hidden in the jungle, completely overgrown. And then the Buddha chanced on it and rediscovered. Thank you so much. It has been rediscovered. Yeah. And, you know, he found it again and then he laid out the path, you know, how we can get to that ancient city. And then the city gets revived again. And I'd want to speak about that more next time. So, and it starts, you know, how we can revive the data flow, how we can revive that ancient city is through starting to relating to ourselves first, you know, to our own inner states, our own pain, to our own greed, to our own numbness, to our own inspiration and motivation, to all of it. Start to relate to that more fully, and from that central skill, you know, of being grounded in ourselves, we can then relate to others and to the world. I'm here, I'm committed, and I'm present to the tension, which is sometimes triggered because usually, you know, we are turning away when there is tension because there's somehow the feeling that's wrong. You know, if it's something is uncomfortable, we need to stop it. We need to make it go away because it's wrong. And this is exactly at the root of consumer culture, which is at the root of the climate crisis is that misunderstanding that discomfort is somehow wrong. Because it's an evolutionary um, skill, you know, we have to know when there is danger and to be careful. But it doesn't necessarily mean to not go there, but to go there with open eyes and an open heart and see what can be done. And sometimes we need to go away. We need to run away because it's it's too much. But it it shouldn't be an automatic knee-jerk response and uh, because you know when something new is born there will always be friction you know if you have given birth to a child it comes out through the contractions without the contractions you know it it wouldn't be able to come out in a healthy way and those contractions they are very important for the bonding also and for the One gets kneaded, you know, like a a bit of dough and prepared through that kneading, getting prepared for the new birth, getting prepared for a new way of being. And this is what we need to understand, that tension isn't a sign from something is going wrong, but it is something new is being processed. And uh, the shift from doing to being to really understanding that if we want to have a more fruitful and growthful response, we need to go through the process of needing and through the tensions and through the uncertainty and the confusion and hold steady with it by knowing, you know, the template of, for example, the Noble Eightfold Path. And there's many different wisdom teachings out there, but the Noble Eightfold Path is what I have been practicing for over 30 years and where I have some understanding which I can share. So by devotion, you know, to the process, we are becoming midwives for something new to be born within ourselves and also within our immediate social field and within our culture. And that's you know what is the big work on this threshold, on this evolutionary threshold where we are noticing that the old systems are no longer holding. They are no longer able to provide what is needed in a world which is, you know, increasingly getting warmer through our fossil fuel culture. And we need to make some very, very fundamental changes. And we are all at a loss, you know, not knowing how to do, where to start, And at the moment, you know, there's the COP28 in Dubai and it's more or less, again, you know, not very hopeful. But at the same time, you know, it's even a farce in some ways, you know, having a fossil fuel person as a president of a COP28 is kind of absurd on one level. But on another level, you know, we need to get those people to the table. They have so much to lose. They have more to lose than us. You know, they have developed a whole culture around being able to sell this globally. And now they are knowing it's going to come to an end. Of course, this is extremely scary. So we need to, you know, find ways to relate to where others are. And that's, of course, not easy. But without that, we won't make any lasting uh, solutions. We need to have everybody at the table and we need to learn to listen. And that needs to start with being able to listen to our own afflictive emotions first. Because if we can't do that, we cannot listen to others. And if we can't listen to others and go through that process of friction, of giving birth to something new, we're just going to get stuck in the past. And that's not you know, that's actually not tolerable for the planet. The planet has limitations and it's very clearly telling us about those limitations and we need to take that in, metabolize it, go through the process and then come up with new solutions which will emerge into that open space space of our willingness, you know, to be of service, to be of benefit, to devote ourselves to this process. And that doesn't mean, you know, that we don't take care of ourselves. We need to take care of ourselves first in order to stay resourced enough to be actually agents for this process. So in many ways, you know, it's a very paradox situation because we need to take care of our needs as much as we can in order to be be able to open up and receive that emergent new way of being on the planet and to do that together as a collective is much, much easier than trying to figure it out by ourselves, because we can't figure it out with the thinking mind. But we can create that vessel in ourselves and as a collective to receive that which is emerging. I'm here, I'm committed and I'm present to tension. I'm present to not knowing. I'm present to numbness. And then, through that willingness of being present, something new is going to be born. Through devotion rather than through force. And, you know, that's something new, I think, for our culture, because it was so much all about, you know, we're going to get it all done and we're going to extract, you know, anything we can get from the planet and we're going to build those towers into the sky and all of these things. And now we see, no, it's not working. So it's like a waking up, a maturing, and maturing always goes hand in hand with going through the fire. There is no other way. You can't just mature, you know, by getting what you want constantly. That doesn't work. So I think this is a invitation, you know, to, to remember our motivation, why we are here, actually. What's our real motivation if we look inside of ourselves? To ask, you know, why am I sitting here? For example, now, why have you come to our meeting today? What is it? And in some way or another, you'll connect with the urge to evolve. Because it's the only option we have open. We can no longer, you know, shift the deck chairs on the Titanic. We have to now just go through the birthing process. But we don't have to do it alone. That's the good news. Because it needs to be all of us. Mankind. Mankind remembering to be kind and that we are of one kind. And that we cannot control nature. We have to give it back. Toss it back to nature which knows what to do. In a I read that uh, yesterday, in a sacred shitstorm, we can still cherish our world and remember, why am I here? In a sacred shitstorm, we can still cherish our world and remember, why am I here? The motivation and resource ourselves from there, from that motivation that evolutionary urge by sensing it in our own being. You know, and knowing we don't want to do anything less than that. We don't want to distract ourselves anymore. It's just a waste of time. And sometimes, you know, we might just need a break, that's fine, But then, you know, once we are resourced again, we come back. It's like a relay run, you know, not a marathon, but a relay run where we do take breaks, but then we come back and continue. Continue for what we have come. We've come to evolve. To evolve, you know, as individuals, but to also evolve as a society, as a culture as a global community even now, with this huge push we are receiving from the planet. It's a perfect storm. And we can you know receive that truth by resourcing ourselves in that motivation why have i come here not just to the call but why have i come to this planet surely not just to go shopping So sensing that evolutionary urge to evolve and be of service to ourselves, to our loved ones, to our global community, to the modern human world—that's you know where we can ground ourselves in. That's what supplies us you know with the energy to do what needs to be done and sometimes nothing can be done just need to sit through it and to know the difference And if nothing can be done, then maturing can still be done by being in the storm and being changed through it. That's what the Noble Eightfold Path, you know, is supporting us, which, you know, consists of three main areas. The first one being ethics. The second one being uh, meditation. And the third one being wisdom. On a foundation of ethics, you know, we learn to cultivate the heart and the mind. And then from that cultivation, we know how to relate to our own experience, to the experience of others and to the greater global community and the more than human world. And in that process, you know, we are developing more and more wisdom and compassion and more and more capacity for letting go. And on the one hand, we can be of benefit to the world. And on the other hand, you know, our needs become more and more diluted through integrating the fact that we are not separate. Just you know, allowing ourselves to drop deeper into the body and sensing you know, the soil, the earth beneath the body, beneath the cushion or the chair where you are sitting, the stability which We are sitting upon. Which can, you know, we can sense that by breathing it up into the body, which is made, you know, from the same elements as the planet. And there's a direct link of communication because of that sameness we can participate in that stability and that vastness. The power of that hugeness. Like this huge orb moving through the cosmos, and we are part of it. And we so often forget that. And then, you know, in that forgetfulness, we get very scared and stressed out but we can learn you know to align ourselves with that intelligence and make that a real priority Like as a different you know sense of aliveness. It isn't personal. So with the in-breath, you know, we are connecting with the stability and peace of the planet we are participating in. And with the out-breath, you know, we can relax into the spaciousness, The stability and the spaciousness, that's the two main supports for doing this work. But it's so easy, you know, to lose track. When we contract, when we get scared, when we get triggered, when we get overwhelmed, then we lose track. And that's okay, that's the way it is. But then we can remember. And that's the point, you know, to remember the stability and the spaciousness we have experienced when we were not triggered. That is what can help us to stay grounded, to stay in relationship, to know it's impermanent. The core insight, you know, of the Buddha's teaching. This is impermanent. But we can know that, you know, we can that the knowing is not impermanent. The knowing is always there when we remember it. And then what can be known is either the contraction. Or the stability and the spaciousness. Both can be known. And that's what the practice is all about. That's what refuge in Buddha is. The knowing. The knowing of what's happening and to stay in relationship to it. That's the point. Rather than getting lost in it, drowning in it, becoming it becoming the fearful one, becoming the scared one, becoming the confused one, rather than knowing there is fear, confusion has arisen, and knowing it's impermanent. That is the point, you know, that's the freedom. That's the refuge in Buddha. It's very, very simple, but it's not easy to be that so easy to forget it. But we can train the capacities. And, you know, the full capacity to stay conscious, that's enlightenment in the Buddhist teaching or awakening. To be able to stay conscious and not get lost in becoming it. That's, you know, that's the only work which... We need to do on the inside. It's an inside job, so to say. And then from that capacity to stay conscious, we can respond. We can take responsibility. We are not just acting out because it's uncomfortable. Because that's got us to this mess, you know. Consumerism is an acting out. And wanting to have perpetual comfort, which is an impossible project, and we have almost, you know, sacrificed our life support system for that impossible possible dream, which, you know, is actually a disservice to our maturation. That we just didn't know it before, but now we got it. We need to turn it all around. And we can. In particular, we can do it in relationship with others. we can feel that evolutionary urge we can sense into it and take take that energy fuel ourselves with that urge to go through the birthing process of a greater capacity Become true adults. You know, not like babies who constantly need to have their way, otherwise, they start throwing a tantrum. That's no longer really an option. Just, you know, updating ourselves. By staying open to what is happening and allowing ourselves to be really deeply touched. And, you know, today I'd like to share a poem with you, which I was introduced to at my Pachamama Alliance course. I'm almost finished with it. And some of the team members offered that poem by somebody called John Rodel. And it's called An Open Poem to a World-Weary Empath. It goes like this. You can't leave earth yet because I just flipped ahead about a hundred pages in your story and I read that someday you will be the reason someone else doesn't give up on their life. I'm sorry to spoil the end of your epic tale, but someday you will be the one who ignites the blaze in another person's heart that won't ever be put out again. Don't complicate the plot of your story. You are here to be a lamplighter that hands out little bits of your flame to ensure the rest of the world doesn't exist in darkness. I know you have been scorched so many times. To love the world is to sometimes be burned at the stake by others who mistake your gift of compassion as a personal weakness. I know it's not easy to be a bringer of light to those who have become addicted to shadows, mm-hmm. but we need you to be a gardener of ever seeds that will perhaps never see, that you will perhaps never see grow into burning rose bushes that can be seen from space. Oh my love, don't give into the calling despair, Set your life on fire with kindness and watch how many other people come out of their caves to sit by your campfire heart to share their own stories of survival. Oh my love, you are my favorite element. Set your life on fire with kindness and watch how many other people come out of their caves to sit by your campfire heart To share their own stories of survival. Oh my love, you are my favorite element. So so that's a very touching take on being a world-weary empath. So in that space, you know, between stability and spaciousness, that's where we can find rest. And that's where we also can connect with our own ability to respond. Breathing up the stability and breathing out into the spaciousness. And you know, sensing that evolutionary urge. Which is right there, you know, at the center of our hearts. If we can stop long enough to connect with it. And if you're noticing maybe, you know, your mind contracting and thinking about something else, wondering, you know, when that session is going to be over, what you're going to do next, just really gently putting it to one side and coming back to the stability and the spaciousness of this moment. And now we're going to sit for another five minutes or so in silence. And then I'm going to ring the bell.